Well, good morning. Give you a welcome in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ as we have come as his people to worship our great God. Especially I'd like to welcome any of those who are visiting with us today. Pleased to, uh, to have you here. And if you'd like to receive information about the church, afterwards you go over to the Welcome Center or actually just take a card. You'll see it in the chair in front of you. If you fill those out, you can place them in the offering plate or just give them, just place them on a table out there when you go out and we'll be glad to send you information about our church. A couple of announcements. One is uh, tomorrow, we're going to start taking down all these beautiful decorations. If any of you can come and help, uh, that'll be tomorrow at 10 o'clock. You can actually begin helping after the service today, and that's by grabbing a poinsettia and uh, taking it home with you. We might, uh, for yourself or someone whom you would know who would enjoy that. Now, I promise you that I uh, would make uh, Gail Prince come here so we can embarrass her today. Or, or Wednesday is uh, Gail's last uh, workday with us. And Gail, if you'll come up here, I'm going to make you stand right, right here. Um, we don't usually make all such a big deal when, when people have uh, left the church, but Gail is retiring. She has been, she has the record of the longest serving staff member in this church for 16 years? 16 and a half. 16 and a half? How'd you come here in the first place, Gail? Good you got to put it right up to you. My here. good friend Lynn Hudson was the very first uh, receptionist that LPC had, and she worked here for a while, and um, computers are just not her thing, so she uh, found another job, and she called me, she said, Gail, you would love this job, and so I came and interviewed, and I did. I was in the middle of going to school and wasn't really ready to take on a job, but Joe King was gracious enough to let me finish and then come on board in June, 16 and a half years ago. And Yvonne is right behind me. She's been here 15 and a half years. Good. You know, we've, um, Gail was supposed to have retired last year, and she made the mistake of saying, well, I'll stay as long as you need me. And, um, uh, and in fact, still... Actually, it's been, it took me three times, you know, they say three strikes and you're out, so they finally booted me out this year. <laughs> well, we have, uh, we have some gifts for you. Uh, this is uh, cards uh, from okay. members of the church and includes um, a letter here from the session, okay. and we we're trying to figure out what, to, what would be appropriate to give you, and Yvonne came up with, she thought was the perfect gift for you. Okay. So membership to the Chocolate of the Month Club. <laughs> she knows the way to my heart. No, I'll give you time I to, know to, to say is. your words oh. as well. We also have a picture here of the church that uh, Miranda Bonner has made that we give to, mm -hmm. to folks, and we wanted to give that to you as well. Thank you. Thank you. Can I say just a word or two? You can say as much as you would like. Um, I'll be brief so I won't cry. Um, just, I just want to say how um, grateful that I am to have worked here all these years, y'all. I, I want to thank the session and the elders, the deacons that I've worked with over the years and the pastors, um, but especially the congregation. Y'all have been so loving and supportive over the years. I have felt so loved here, and it's been such a blessing to be here, and I thank God brought me here just like he has brought my replacement, <clears throat> Megan, she is awesome. She's a young woman who is so bright and so talented. But best of all, she has a servant spirit. But if I can see this, I would like to read a couple of scriptures that I was thinking about this morning in preparation for today. From Ecclesiastes 5, 19 and 20, it says, Moreover, when God gives any man or woman wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them to accept his lot and be happy in his work this is a gift from god he seldom reflects on the days of his life because god keeps him occupied with gladness of heart and that has been exactly that for me yvonne and i have often said over the years how we have felt um, that this was more than a job it was a calling it's been such a blessing and lastly, I want to uh, quote Psalm 13, 5, and 6. 
but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. Thank you. You actually stay up with me. Let me have prayer for you. Father, we, um, we thank you for the delights and the pleasures that you give to us on this earth and through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we at Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church, just be here in our church who give thanks for just how she has personally helped them uh, throughout the years. Uh, but we just thank you for her, for her spirit, for her faith and her, her love for you that she has demonstrated here. She's not a, a staff member here of the church, but that she is a true sister in Jesus Christ, and we thank you for her. And pray for your blessings upon her and ML in these uh, years to come. And pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Okay. You see them?
told Lynn earlier, I didn't know she had that little jazz spirit in her. That was great. Uh, for our call to worship, we're going to read from Psalm 70, uh, 57, verse 5. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. We come, our God, to exalt you. And we give you praise that you are the God who is in heaven, who is above the heavens. And we pray that as we gather now to, to worship you, that our voices will, will join in with those of the angels and the saints who have gone before us to exalt you, to glorify you in heaven and on earth. May your spirit be upon us that the, so that the worship we offer will be pleasing and honoring to you as we worship you in the name of, through the work, through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing together. He is exalted. confess our faith together through the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. He was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits on the right hand of the Father. He shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let's now turn to the Lord in prayer and begin by praying together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And our Father, we give you praise again as the one who dwells in heaven and the one who is above the heavens. We give you praise that you are God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We pray that we this morning will honor, will hallow your name, that we will do so in this sanctuary, that we will do so as we go uh, back to our homes and throughout our community, wherever you would have us to be, that we would honor the name of our Father as your children. We pray that as your servants, that we will serve well your kingdom. And we pray for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ, that meanwhile that we will be found faithful in our service for our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, our Father, for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, that your will be done by us, who call you our Father, who go by your name, that your will will be done on earth by the servants of your kingdom. And we pray that you would provide for us this day the daily bread that, that we need, that we would be faithful, good servants for your kingdom, that we would be uh, faithful, honoring children of our Father. So feed us with your word. Feed us through, by the worship itself. Provide for us what we need for our physical bodies, uh, the food that we need, the medical care that we need. We lift before you again, continuing to pray for an end uh, to uh, the COVID. We pray that the vaccines that have been produced uh, will be quickly distributed. We pray for its effect. We lift up members of our own congregation and friends and loved ones of our congregation who have come down with the COVID and pray for their healing. We lift before you our sister Karen Brown, who's grieving for her father, who seems to be in his final days uh, with the COVID. And we just pray for your comfort of her and her family, your mercies upon her father. We pray, our Father, that you would forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And as we come to the end of a year and we, we look back, we, we give you thanks for how you have provided for us and yet confess that many times that we have not had that thankful spirit. We also look back and see a contentious year. And our Father, we have to confess that they're uh, our own uh, attitude and spirit by which we have in, engaged in uh, debates and that we have treated those who have differed with us. Uh, we have treated them in belittling ways, in spiteful ways. We confess that before you. Pray for your forgiveness. We pray that we not be led into temptation. You know, the evil one always seeking, who prowls around like a lion seeking to devour us. Protect us from him. Uh, protect us from the, uh, the dangers, the lures, the temptations, of the, the fears of this world. We make this prayer acknowledging that to you belongs the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
May be seated. Well, I invite you to uh, turn with me, uh, either in your Bibles, to Hebrews chapter 11, or you'll also find the text in, the, uh, in that insert uh, that's in your bulletin as well. Chapter 11, verses 23 to 31, we are returning back to Hebrews, back to chapter 11, with this roll call of great men and women of faith. And we have considered, first of all, back in chapter 11, the necessity of faith through the examples of Abel, Enoch, and of uh, Noah. Then we looked at the patriarchs of, of Abraham, his wife Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And through them, we observed how their uh, faith in God's promise of a heavenly city cause them to remain faithful to him. We then, during the Advent season, we looked at individuals from the Nativity story, looked how their faith motivated them and how it guided them, such as Simeon, uh, Anna, the wise men, and Joseph. Now we're moving back to the Old Testament history where we're looking at the parents of Moses, Moses himself, of the Israelites, and then of a single foreign woman. What is it that they have to teach us? Well, according to our author, they have to teach us what it is to be courageous. So look with me, first of all, in verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So our first model of courageous faith is shown actually by the parents of Moses. Let me read that to you from Exodus 1, what they did. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. Uh, The woman conceived and bore a son, And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. You know, you're just thinking how good it was for Moses that he was not an ugly baby, wasn't he? (laughs) But I think Calvin, I mean, actually in all the terms that you translate, be fine, goodly, uh, beautiful. So did did he just see this beautiful and just say, well, we got to keep this one? Well, John Calvin, I think, has it right. Let me read to you from his commentary. The parents of Moses were not charmed with beauty, so as to be induced by pity to save him, as to cases commonly with men, but that there was some mark, as it were, of future excellency imprinted on the child, which gave promise of something extraordinary. There is then no doubt but that by his very appearance, They were inspired with the hope of an approaching deliverance. For they considered that the child was destined for the performance of great things. Now that makes sense to me when you consider our our author's comment, the Hebrew author's comment that faith is what led them to hide their son. They must have had faith in something about this child. Something that allowed them or led them to take that extra step and actually a very dangerous step for themselves. All right, let's move now to Moses, verses 24 to 26. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Now, we know the story here. When he was three months old, his parents place him in the river, trusting somehow uh, that God's going to take care. He is found by Pharaoh's daughter, who adopts him as her son. So Moses essentially grows up as an Egyptian, 
an Egyptian in the most privileged circumstance that one could have. He becomes Pharaoh's grandson. And so those treasures of Egypt, literally, they really are at his disposal. But evidently he also, as he was growing up, had knowledge of his true heritage, that he was a member of God's covenant people, that he was the son of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so when he became an adult, he identified himself as belonging to this oppressed people. It was faith. Belief that the God of his people, Yahweh, was the true God. And that led him to make this claim, this identification with his people. Now our author adds a little bit more to what Moses' faith entailed. Let's look at it again. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. And we have to ask ourselves, well, how is it that Moses could be thinking of the reproach of Christ? I mean, not to mention Christ himself, you know, centuries later. Well, the Greek term Christos means anointed. It's exactly what the Hebrew term Messiah means, anointed. So Moses could be thinking of the Hebrew people as being the anointed of God. So, for example, the prophet Habakkuk in chapter 3, verse 13, refers to the people of God as the anointed. But he could also as well have been thinking of the anointed one who is to come. Moses himself will write about him. He'll write about this prophet who will be a greater prophet than himself. Moses, the author of Genesis, he wrote about uh, the seed of Eve who will crush the head of the serpent. And it's from Moses' writings that throughout all of Israel's history, there is this underlying hope of the Messiah, of the anointed one who will come. And so it could be that the anointed one's reproach lies in, well, his own identification with the people. Or it could lie in as well in the people's hope that their redeemer will come and that that hope itself is scorned by their oppressors, by the Egyptians. So whatever the case, Moses is willing to stand with his people in this hope of the anointed one. Now, why was he willing? Well, we're told he was looking to the reward. Our author is already, back in verse 6, linked faith with reward. He writes, Without faith it is impossible to please him, to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So our author connects that reward then with the, through the patriarchs with a faith, a belief in the heavenly city. And he's saying Moses is also looking to that same reward. All right, he continues now in verse 27. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now, if we were to read the account that this verse seems to refer to, it actually appears that the fear of the king is precisely the reason that Moses left Egypt the first time. You recall he kills an Egyptian for beating a Hebrew slave, and that becomes known. So Exodus 2, verses 14 and 15 tells us, Then Moses was afraid, and he thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. You know, you kind of can hear Moses saying, you know, maybe he's reading the same chapter as well, chapter 11, and he's saying, well, maybe I was a little afraid. 
But I'm not sure that our author means for us to be thinking of just this one incident, you know, killing the slave and then running off to Midian. Because he notes here, he speaks of Moses doing what? Enduring. Well, enduring what? Just a single incident of flight? You don't typically speak of enduring. I think it's more likely that he's speaking of Moses' life choice that he first made of turning his back on Egypt, which then lays up to this rash action. And so to identify with his people was to reject Egypt. And for that matter, then, it was to reject his grandfather, the Pharaoh of Egypt. So he has already left Egypt in his mind and in his heart. And that takes great courage and endurance. One must have great faith that the God, as our author says, he could not see, was a true God over the Egyptian gods, which were everywhere and which are represented by the greatest power on earth, by that nation, and by Pharaoh himself. Well, let's continue in verse 28. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. And there are three things that Moses needed to believe. By faith, he had to believe, first of all, that the firstborn would be slain. Now, he's already had the previous five plagues. They've come true, and that certainly strengthened his faith. But still, this would be the most terrible one of all. He furthermore needed faith to believe that he and his people would be spared. Thirdly, he needed to have the faith to believe the means of being spared. It was through the observance of the Passover. It was through the sprinkling of that blood over the doorpost. Now, all that is easier said than done. To sit at one's home at night, death is passing over, but you are trusting that the Lord will spare your family. Now, Moses' faith furthermore included faith in the significance of those two actions that he was given to do. The slaying, the eating of the lamb. He had to see in that the significance of the lamb taking upon itself the penalty of death. He had to see that sprinkling of the blood on the doorpost, signifying that that blood had to be shed to make atonement for his people. Remind you of someone else who took the penalty of our death, whose blood was shed to make atonement? So again, it took faith to see that significance. And yet you think about it, at the same time, that very ritual of doing those things undoubtedly strengthened his faith. You see, that's what a sacrament achieves. You know, the Passover now, we see that in the Lord's Supper. And every time we observe the the Lord's Supper, we look into the significance of it, that it represents that blood shed for us to cause our penalty to pass over for us. But then, even as we participate, the sight of it, the uh, Touching it, the taste of it, strengthens our own faith of our redemption achieved by Christ. All right, now next thing comes is the actual exodus from Egypt. Verse 29. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. So the Red Sea divides. There's been a pillar of fire separating the Hebrews from the Egyptian army. They both groups now enter into the Red Sea between those two walls. First the Hebrews, then the Egyptians. The Hebrews pass through safely. The Egyptians all drown. Now what distinguishes uh, them? We might say, well, faith. But faith in what? 
that the water would not collapse over them? Well, the Egyptians had the same fate. It's not a matter of in what, but in who. The Hebrews had faith in Yahweh, Jehovah, the Lord God, the I am who I am. The Egyptians had faith in their gods. And the faith of each party revealed to which God they each belonged, with whom they identified. All right, our author continues to move us by quickly. He skips 40 years in the wilderness, and he brings us into the first days of entering the promised land. Verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Moses is dead. Joshua has led the people into the promised land, and Jericho is the first city they come to. It is walled and fortified. Now, such ancient cities could withstand the assault of great armies for months, maybe even years, as long as they had a water supply. Well, these walls fall down in seven days, and merely at the sound of trumpets. It takes faith to believe that those walls would come down. It takes faith to walk around those walls once a day for six days. It takes faith to believe that when called upon, blow the trumpets and shout, that these massive stone walls are just simply going to collapse. But the people had the faith to do what they were told to do. And as the song says, the walls came a-tumbling down. It takes great faith. But I wonder, though, if the faith of a single woman inside those walls is not more noteworthy. Look with me in verse 31. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Now, before the people had crossed over the Jordan, Joshua had sent two spies into the city and they would have been caught if it had not been for the aid and the resourcefulness of Rahab. She endangers herself by hiding them. And then she explains the reason why to them. This is in Joshua 2. I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that from you, and that fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above, and on the earth beneath. So as Rahab explains, everyone in Jericho shared the same fear, but she alone possessed her singular faith. You know, all the ancient cities, all the nations had their gods, and they had no trouble believing that the gods of other peoples existed. It was simply a matter of whose god was more powerful at the time. And the citizens of Jericho, though, they were disobedient in that they still held on to their gods. But Rahab, she's given faith to believe, to believe that the Hebrews' God, Yahweh, is the one true God in heavens and the earth. It's not that she believes, well, that God is greater than our gods. He is the only true God in the heavens above and on earth. And so that kind of faith leads her to aid the spies. Truly, she was a woman of great faith. Now, what are some lessons that we can learn? Well, One lesson is that there is a courage 
that comes with true faith. Faith determines how and where we will stand. You take Moses' parents. They stood with the hope of redemption, that is, deliverance from slavery. And they somehow believed that their son was going to play a role in those people's redemption. Moses stood on the side of his people against the side of the Egyptians. He could have easily have identified himself with the Egyptians and never would have had to face any problems. Rahab stood on the side of a people she had no claim upon, but whom she still believed belonged to the one true God. Well, we are all called to take a stand and to show to whom, with whom we will belong. Will it be with this world? Will it be with how this world perceives God? Or will it be with the Lord God of the scriptures? You know, Jesus spoke of this in Luke 12. Do you think I've come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. To make a stand with Jesus is to invite division. And many followers of Christ have paid that price, the price of being banished because they have left the faith of their families, of their community, or their country. Some have even been killed. Now, we may not have that same experience, although probably a number of us can testify of being separated uh, from our families, either emotionally, maybe even physically, from our secular families. Kids have been cut off from the cool crowd at school. Most of us have experienced at some time that experience of being ostracized, being kept out of the inner circle because of our faith. We're the different ones at work. And there's that pressure to conform, to at least, well, at least keep our faith under wrap. Okay. And so the question for us is, will we, by faith, take and keep our stand we know that the new millennium has brought a seismic change into beliefs and values in our own country. And each year we feel the forces of a worldly mindset that's growing stronger against us. Will we take our stand, regardless of what takes place? Will we be like Moses, not being afraid of the anger of earthly rulers? but enduring because of our faith in him whom we cannot see. So there's the courage of faith. There's also the trust of faith. Faith trusts in what God provides. Moses' parents trusted God to provide when they placed his basket in the river. Moses trusted God to provide when he left the privilege, the security of his royal Egyptian heritage. The people trusted God to spare them through the Red Sea. Rahab trusted God to provide when she cast her lot with the Hebrews. So the question is for us, will we by faith trust God to provide for us when we stand with him? For younger folks, will you trust God in the coming years to provide for you when you are denied positions at school and in the workplace? And for everyone who's worried, say, about the economy, will you trust God to provide? So true faith provides courage, provides trust. And then there is a discomfort of faith. True faith moves us out of our comfort zones. Now, that's the case for everyone in our passage. Moses' parents, Moses himself, the Israelites, Rahab, by faith, each one, all of them had to step out of their comfort zone. And I want to move our thoughts for a moment from, say, religious persecution. I want to turn them to our personal life. Can you think of ways that your faith has pushed you out of your comfort zone? For example, has it ever led you to 
to share your testimony personally with someone? Have you ever had to personally help a stranger, someone who makes you feel uncomfortable, and you've gone and and you have helped them? Have you ever been led to give away something of, of great value to you? Or maybe you've taken on a ministry or some other task that you you felt nervous about doing or it was going to cause you a great deal of inconvenience. But you were willing to go forth because of your faith. Have you been moved to show an act of love to someone who differs from you? If each day is a comfortable day, it is time to question if your faith is doing its work in you. Faith may give comfort, but it is not intended to make us comfortable. Moses was content with staying in Midian and never returning to Egypt. So true faith will give us courage, will cause us to trust God, It will move us out of our comfort zone. And finally, faith leads to brave choices. Last week, I spoke of Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, and how he is the patron saint of us ordinary people who just go about each day faithfully following God. Well, Rahab is the patron saint for those who are having to decide whether or not to follow God in the first place. They have come to the point where a decision must be made. Uh, They're going to have to do something if they're going to have peace of mind. But the stakes are high. They feel dissatisfied for a while, and they, they know, they come to understand that there's more to reality than, well, you live a few years and then your body decomposes. They feel drawn to Jesus. But again, the stakes are high. It's high to cast in one's lot as a follower of him. It will impact their job, their friendships, maybe their, their family relations. Look to Rahab for your model. She forsook all. There was a fear factor, and she was seeking safety, but as she testified, she had come to understand that the Lord God of the Hebrews was the creator of the heavens and the earth. And whatever might happen to the walls of Jericho, she had to first let the walls around her own heart fall. She had to yield her life to God. May all those who are in that same same situation have that same courage to make a brave choice. Turn your heart to the same God who is found in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Passover lamb, whose blood will provide redemption. We give you praise, our God, for our Lord Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb, our Messiah. May we be faithful. May we have the courage to have that faith, to stand for him, to stand with him, to trust in him, In his name we pray, amen. Let's together for all the saints.
before I give the, the blessing, Gal and Emma, if you will follow me outside and be out there in the narthex so that people can speak to you. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.